0: Log radio
1: This is Cale Brown. Now I didn't play a doctor on T V, but I will prescribe Brandon's Buzz for Absolutely. Anybody who wants to know what's really
0: going on. Hey, guys, this is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. This
2: is Taylor Dane, and you are listening to the one and only
1: Brandon Buzz. Hi, this is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. This is
2: Linda Dano. I'm on Brandon's Buzz, and I have to tell you, what a fun
3: hour I just had. Ah. This is a great kid with a
1: wonderful heart and soul. You listen every day. I know I will. Hey, hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you are checking out Brandon's Buzz right now. Hi, everyone. This is Eric Martin from the band Mr. Big. I'm live and kicking on Brandon's Buzz. Hi, this is Dave Romero, and you're going to love buzzing with Brandon's Buzz.
0: Hey, guys. Welcome back to Brandon's Buzz. I am Brandon. It is Tuesday, December 14th, 2010, 10 p.m. in the East, 7 p.m. out West, 9 p.m. here in Texas. And I've got a special presentation for you all tonight. I recently had the opportunity to speak with three young stars on the move in the movie business. And tonight I'm giving you pieces of those conversations in a unique Rising Stars of Hollywood special event right here on Brandon's Buzz. A bit later on, we'll be hearing from a terrific young lady named Tyne Stecklein who is currently appearing in the Golden Globe-nominated musical film Burlesque, and a fabulous woman named Tana Frederick, who is out this month with a new film called Queen of the Lot, in which she stars with former ER heartthrob Noah Wiley. But first up tonight, a young man who got his start as part of the ensemble of a well-loved television series called Freaks and Geeks, and who has just released his directorial debut on DVD, a very moving film entitled Anderson's Cross, which can be found on Amazon.com and at all the major online stores. His name is Jerome Elson Scott, and if you don't quite recognize his name just yet, I promise you, you won't soon forget him. Let's start at the beginning here. Give me the 60-second bio on Jerome Scott. Where were you born? Where were you raised? Where'd you go to school? Let's let's get that stuff out of the way.
1: Oh my goodness, I I was uh, from New Jersey, and then I moved to Florida, Orlando, Florida, and came from there to LA, and here I am. It's just it been this sort of long, sort of drawn-out journey of of trying to be an actor and then you know having some small success there and then sort of getting frustrated and deciding i'm going to write and and direct and kind of being a sort of jack of all trades or as my mom says classic overachiever and she's <laughs> doing all that and you know and now i'm here and suddenly it's it's great it's very surreal cuz people like the movie and and it's opened up so many doors and i have Decided, you know, that I like directing and writing more than I actually did the acting, which was kind of my my original dream to do. So it's been it's been really interesting and and crazy. And you know, today even today we're going over like set designs and set building for the next movie, and I'm like, these people are going to find out I don't know what I'm doing real quick. <laughs> okay. It's going to be very obvious.
0: <laughs> like, wow, anyone can do it. <laughs> Well I'll tell you something Uh, You mentioned the movie We're talking about We're talking about The movie Anderson's Cross And I took a look at it A couple weeks ago And and it's quite clear That you do know What you're doing If I do say so myself But this is a very It's a very interesting movie Tell me a little bit About the story And how it came to you You know It's it's
1: semi-autobiographical They say when you're Beginning as a writer To write what you know And that was kind of The the rule that I That I went At least for my For my first film And uh, I, I just I'm not a a trained writer. So I just sort of sat down and, and decided, you know, these were my favorite memories. And then I took those and put them in a box and said, I'm not gonna write about that. So I'll write about these other things and kinda of went that way. And I think it just connected with uh the actors because I was an actor and I know they like to sort of sink their teeth into things and um giving you know, rounded characters to performers which just really was my goal there, and I, I wanted to write something that that had a good young cast. Usually, when you're watching a movie, they, if, if the cast is primarily young, the the older generation is they're all portrayed as idiots. And if you're watching something older, then the kids are portrayed as, So I really just kind of tried to make sure that they were even, and I think that is why we were able to attract such talent like Joanna Cassidy and Michael Warren and Art Evans Absolutely. and Joyce Guy. and You know, and it's just, it's really just been, it's crazy. It's crazy talking about it. It's, it was just the process <laughs> of, like, this is what I'm going to write. I love, I have an influence of other movies. I love coming-of-age movies, and as a Writer, and director, and being new—that's what I was doing. I was coming of age and really trying to put on paper and on film, sort of what I felt up there. So it was, you know, and, and having that 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 kind of an upbringing where my parents allowed. You know, me and my brothers and sisters to be whoever we were. I'm noticing that that is really rare, and especially sort of nowadays, everything seems to be we're going back to trying to suppress everything, you know, and 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 make everyone the same. And that's just not that doesn't work, especially in the sure. arts. You know, so it was just really it was it was just kind of a labor of love and really fun, and it's not that deep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was constantly reminded that we weren't curing cancer
0: so we were
1: making a movie, you know. I was a little sort of taken aback because, you know, there's Joanna Cassidy. You grow up, you're watching these people on TV, you know, or sure. Michael Warren. And it was great to sort of watch the process, um, but it was also nice. To understand that they wanted to be directed, that they have the same wants and fears as any actor, and that they were still in it to win it. They were still there to to do the best job. No one was walking through anything, you know, and they were nice, great to work with, the kind of people you want to work with again. You know, during the audition process, we got to a place where there were two actors that were up for a part, and it really came down to, do I really want to spend four weeks with that guy? Or do I want to go with the other guy, you know? And it was just like, that guy's kind of weird. I don't know if I want to spend four weeks with him. You know, he's a great actor. So I, I started to understand the whole process. And that's what I love about writing and directing and doing movies is it's this constant learning process. I'm still learning, you know. I feel a little weird sometimes because I'll meet people and they'll be like, been in the business for 30 years and I haven't directed a picture. And I'm like, wow. You know, and they look at me and I'm like, shut up. <laughs> so okay. it it, takes, it. It took so long for the movie to get done. You know, we're, we're talking a process of a good six or seven years to really from, from the idea to completion. Half of the battle is just sticking with it and just saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with this and losing the money. And, you know, so it's great now that people... Or liking it and wanting to buy it and getting good reviews and you know although you know you can't believe any of it you just have to be like okay that's it you know <laughs> so someone else likes it more than your mother that's great kind <laughs> of move on. <laughs> is, is, it, is it
0: is it true that in this economy it's harder than ever to get noticed or is it true that in this technological world it's easier than ever to get noticed? I think it's
1: easy to get noticed. But it's harder to sort of stick around. I think if you have the thing is everyone is doing something, everyone's putting something up on YouTube, and everyone's making movies. But there's still an art to making movies, so it's harder to for someone to look at your film because they've got to wade through thousands of other things before they. And by the time they get to your film, they could be so sick of films. <laughs> so that's you know we used to be we used to be more of an elitist group they were making movies it was like everyone now everyone is making movies and i really kind of exactly. felt like we need, we need to come up with another name for what people are actually doing because i'm like that was not a movie that was just a guy with a camera and his friend exactly. you know so it's it's that but there's still i still think that if you have um, an art and you you have something to say and you respect the 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 medium that you will find your way to the top, that people will will notice the movie, you know, and when I was a kid, and my you know my mother was like, Well, do you want to be an actor or do you want to be an actor in show business? And I thought, Well, gosh, isn't that the same thing and she was like, "No, no, that's not the same thing. you know if you want to be an actor, you can go to community theater and be happy, but if you want to be an actor in show business, you have to understand the business and you know for me, I always wanted to be able to have a conversation with Steven Spielberg. Regardless of what my level of experience was, you know, and so that's the thing. I think there's a lot of young and even older uh, people in the entertainment industry that don't have an appreciation for the history of it. You know, they don't, have never seen Dustin Hoffman's work. You know, and it's, and then you're, it I'm floored by that. So that was, you know, I, I grew up sort of watching those things and studying those things and. It's so much more available. You don't even have to have a, a, a lot of money to go to school. You can turn on Bravo and watch, you know, uh, the actor's studio and get Absolutely. a half hour of Tom Cruise talking about the process. You know, it's just, it's it's really, it's, it, that's what you need. And they're, they're pulling the curtain back. I don't agree with pulling the curtain back completely, but they do pull it back some on DVDs. You get commentary, you, you know. Sure. There's, there's ways to learn and to figure things out, and, you know, and then you have to just sort of get out there and do it, and that's the hard part, because then you have to sort of figure out your own thing. You know, I was the kid that was willing to get thrown off the set, so, you know, I wanted to talk to the director, and, you know, there's a hierarchy. People are like, oh, you're not supposed to do that, and I was like, well, I'm not going to stand here, you know, while Judd Apatow is standing right there. That just that doesn't make any sense to me. Okay, for me not to jump up and down, you know, and and make him notice me. You know, that was just kind of where I. That's where I was. But I I don't recommend it for everybody. Everybody has to figure out their own sort of path sure. and decide what they're going to do. And you know, it's it's worked for me. You know
0: what? though, um, I, I take your point very well. I mean the the entire the entire process, the entire craft of it has been completely demystified. I mean, we live in a we live in an age where a five-minute video on YouTube can make you a superstar. And, you know, we live in an age where uh, we talk about damned iPhones. This iPhone is a camcorder, basically. I mean, you can record anything you want to with a damn machine. And, it's, right. you, you know, it's we live in an age where anybody can do almost anything, and so that makes the true artists difficult to discern, I think.
1: Absolutely.
0: And someone may stumble upon something.
1: There may be some, you know, kid in Virginia who – really is, has a talent, you know, and, and has a way with the camera, and, and that's the thing, so you can't, you can't not look at everything, you have to sort of search through everything, and, and so it's it's really interesting, because I think before the studio system, which I'm a big fan of, you know, although they were not too kind to minorities or women, uh, but I was, you know, I loved the system of itself of you know the agents and and the talent scouts getting up early in the morning and and looking for talent you know now it's a thing where you know you can't even get an audition unless you have a specific agent and you know and the casting director won't see it and, and I'm like when did that happen what, how is the kid you know from Iowa supposed to get in here <laughs> so the- it's it and and you you take it on so you know I I now have a rule that like two Parts, at least two major parts of my movies have to go to unknowns, people that have no experience. You know, you have to find some way of sort of giving back, you know. And we hear so much about Steven Spielberg, giving back and helping people. Everyone had that attitude, then we would just be, we would, we would find these artists and we would have, you know, another James Stewart or Catherine Hepburn or, you know, that's that's what we have to do. We have to find this talent that is stuck somewhere but doesn't, you know, isn't Judy Garland's daughter or, you know. <laughs> it, it just has to be somewhere. Not that
0: we don't love Liza. We don't <laughs> love Liza. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it, you know, really it's, it's a fair point, it's hard to get your, it's hard to get your foot in the door no matter what you're doing. But I, I would imagine that in that town especially, it's hard to get your foot in the door because everybody goes to that town trying to get their foot in the door. It takes so long. You're there and you're auditioning
1: and you're like, wow, I've been with a casting director you know, over a hundred times and suddenly they decide they're going to use you. But it does. It takes forever before you know it. And then you don't realize what you've become until you see yourself up on screen. And then you're like, oh, I'm... You know, 10 years older than I was when I started. I'm, you know, it just becomes this thing. And it's still a visual medium. You know, now we know so much about people and the actors that it's hard for us to discern who they are as a character. It's just, it's really gotten to this big place where, you know, before, like, stars would stop. When they got too big for their parts Like, you know, Jane Fonda or Elizabeth Taylor They gave it a break because they're like My persona is so big That even when I'm doing a great job People can't see past this, you know So I had to sort exactly. of step back And then they would come back into it Now they make these people I know these people before I've even seen their work I know everything about them I know where they live I know how old they are I know, it. And I'm like, I don't need all that information <laughs> I just have just I love movies and I love sort of the entrepreneurship of, of Barry Gordy who is the founder of Motown and what he did and what he was trying to do to, and how he sort of laid the groundwork for all of us.
0: When everybody thought yeah. he was crazy.
1: When everyone thought he was <laughs> everyone thought he was crazy, you know? And uh and I love uh I love Tom Cruise. I love the way that he has operated Without the studio system, but has yet managed to maintain a career over decades. I think he's very rare nowadays. Um, and and his choices and I can you know the calculation. It's it's. I know that when I spend my fifteen bucks, that he has tried to make a great movie. And I think that there's not a lot of actors that can I can depend on that way. You know, and it may not always work, but I know that that there was an attempt to not give you crap. (laughs) So that's, you know, I feel that way about very few people, but I I think he's one of the people that I I feel that way about. And, you know, I'm one of those people that kind of understands, it seems like there's a lot of people that, that are out there that people sort of take for granted. And then we spend, like, you know, decades as an industry trying to emulate them and trying to find the next. You know, it's like, let's find the next Julia Roberts. It's like, there is only one. <laughs> you know, it's just, just there really is. And if it was so easy, we would have, if what she did was so easy, we would have found one a long time ago. You know, but I think sometimes these people make it look so easy that the, the people start to sort of dismiss them. And that's the thing I like. You know, everyone's like, people are trying to do things, and, and you just realize, when we were auditioning, people. It's just like American Idol acting when you're sitting behind there and people come in and you're like, wow. Wow. (laughs) You know, it's just like, you know, wow. That's all you can do. It's just, and you're like, I can't believe that. That was it. And they're like, oh, well, you want me to do it again? And you're just like, I'm not quiet. (laughs) I can can never be mean. I'm just not... You know, so many things can happen. People can just be having an off day. And the casting director looks at me like, that was not an off day. That was just off. (laughs) And so I'm like, oh, well, okay. You know, but, you know, some people are never going to, you know, they're never going to sing like Whitney Houston. It's just never going to happen. Okay. But I don't want to be the dream killer. I just, I hate those guys. You know, I always try to find something positive to say to sort of encourage people to move forward and it's hard right now people are you know writing and they write you letters and you're just I don't really know like we're not going to be you know in Idaho doing auditions but if you're out here sure you can come in and, you know it's that and they send you tapes and sometimes you just want to help everyone and a manager and stuff it's like you can't help everybody you can't write every person write writes you and, you know, they have to sort of find their way. But I'm like, I wish people would write me back, you know. <laughs> when I was a kid and I wrote letters, one of the things I, would, I had an interviewer ask me recently some of the things that happened to me as a kid. And one time I was – they, we used to get out of school at 3 o'clock, and Batman used to come on at 2. And I was like, well, that's not good, you know. So my father was like, write a letter to the station, <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote a letter to, <laughs> I wrote a letter to the station saying, Hey, you know, this we get out at three and Batman's on at two and they would run it back to back, but it was done by three o'clock. You know, and they actually changed it, you know, and for me that was kind of a thing of like, Oh, you can make things happen. You can actually do something and things will happen and unfortunately that lesson has kept me here in Hollywood (laughs) my whole you know, whole sort of adult life where it's like, Oh, you know no means yes. (laughs) She didn't really The wind slammed that door. It's just you know it didn't slam it. (laughs) It's the wind. Didn't you feel it? That's what happened.
0: I want to tell you that I recorded what you just heard on my iPhone a couple of weeks ago, and so if my voice sounded a bit odd there, that's why. Also, I want to remind you that Jerome's film, again, is called Anderson's Cross, and the DVD is in stores now. Up next, a terrific young woman who started as a dancer and who, as you're about to discover, was working with the late, great king of pop, Michael Jackson, when he passed away tragically last year. She's now steaming up the screen in burlesque, and I'm dying to introduce you to Miss Tyne Steckline. Well, I tell you what, this is a—it's it, a stupid question to start out with, but were you named after Time Daily?
2: Kind of. My mom had read an article about her, and she just really liked the name. Um, I have two older brothers that have different names as well, and she liked the sound of that name with theirs, so she got the idea from Time Daily.
0: You know, it's such a—it's such a beautiful, unusual name, and, and you're roughly the right age to have been born in the Cagney and Lacey craze. So I was just wondering if—if if that's what it was.
2: Yes, uh-huh. Not too many people guess that, actually, but yep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, let's kind of start at the beginning here. Where were you born? Where were you raised? Where would you go to school? Let's get that stuff out of the way.
2: I was born in Aurora, Colorado, and I grew up dancing there. That's how I got into dancing. My mom was actually my dance teacher growing up, and I moved out to Los Angeles. Right after I turned 18, I think like a week after I turned 18, I re- I moved out. And I didn't actually go to college. I just kind of came out and started dancing right out of high school.
0: Was it culture shock leaving Colorado for L.A.?
2: Yeah, a little bit. I had been out here. My mom would bring me out from time to time when I was younger for fall break and spring break and then the summer and stuff. She would bring me out to take dance class and kind of get used to the setting because – since the time I was about 12, I knew that I wanted to come out to California and try to dance as a career. So I had been out here a little bit, but I moved by myself, so it was a little scary and nerve-wracking at first.
0: <laughs> you know, I live in Texas, and I make it out to L.A. maybe once a year just to, you know, hang out and check up on things, and, and it's it's a totally different world from Texas, totally different.
2: I think it's a very different world from anywhere. It definitely <laughs> takes some getting used to. You have to find your, your niche here, I think, for
0: sure. <laughs> From reading up on you, it sounds like you always knew you wanted to be a dancer. Is that fair? Definitely. <laughs> Tell me what it's like to find your life's passion at three years old. I mean, can that be a little uh, Can that be a little frightening?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think I found it at three per se, but like I said, probably about 12. That's when I knew. Um, I started competing at dance competitions when I was about eight years old and I just love performing and love being on stage. And then I got a scholarship with L.A. Dance Force, which is a program ran through the Edge, Performing Arts Center in California. So I was out in L.A. for about three months dancing, and I just loved every minute of it. And I was like, I want to do this. So it's actually, you know, really cool for me that it's happened.
0: Absolutely. I was I was kind of reading up on you this morning, you know, just kind of getting getting my bearings about you and and you know reading about how you were uh, kind of a maniac for studying the different the different ways of dance and you know you think about different kinds of music. There's jazz, there's country, there's you know all the different genres of music, but you don't necessarily think of the different genres of dancing, but there really are. I mean, there's you know there's a way to dance for the hip hop side and there's a way to dance for jazz, there's a way to dance for ballet. Talk about the different the different kinds of dance. What you like best?
2: Growing up, I took at a dance studio, um, the studio that my mom taught at, and I took everything there, ballet, tap, jazz, hip-hop, modern, lyrical, Um, and then I also took at a Russian ballet school, International Ballet Academy. I took there all of high school as well, which was a very strict ballet training program. But I think it's really important, as a dancer especially, if you're trying to make a career out of dance, it's really important to keep up with all the different styles of dance because they all relate to one another and really help with one another. And also, you can do a lot more jobs if you have the different styles of training. You know, it's more limited if you only are a hip-hop dancer or jazz dancer or whatever. But I think my favorite is probably contemporary or lyrical. Okay. Um, I don't get to do that too often out in Los Angeles because it's not – as big in the commercial world, but I get to do it from time to time.
0: When you tell people that you want to be a dancer for a living and you want to make that your career, do, do they look at you like you're nuts?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, people <laughs> don't get that, and they're like, oh, you can you can make a living that way? Yeah. Or people will say, what kind of dancer? You know, it's, it's a question that <laughs> people don't don't quite understand. I actually danced in Vegas for a year. I was working for Cher at her show at Cedar's Palace, and so, you know, I would meet people there and they'd say, Oh, what do you do? and I'd say, I'm a dancer and that's not something you want to say yeah. in Vegas because
1: course, yeah. <laughs>
0: people are
2: like, What do you what kind of a dancer? So I don't think the general public get that you can make a living out of it. And even jobs that I'm on now, you know, I'll be getting my hair and makeup done for a job and they're like, Oh, so what do you do other than dance? Like I just don't think people realize it's a profession just like, you know, singing or acting or any of the other arts.
0: And it's funny because it's one of those things that kind of happens in the background of things. I mean, you look at any award show, you look at any music video, you look at any anything, it's always going on in the background. And so you, you, you sometimes you're not even completely aware of what's happening.
2: Exactly. Yep. we're always usually background to the main act, exactly. I guess. So, exactly. yeah, I think people don't always realize it.
0: Is it a tough community to get your foot in the door in?
2: It is because... It's definitely a smaller world than acting. I know I'm, I'm trying to do that some as well, and that's a much bigger world. There's many more people. But at the same time, all of the dance auditions you go to, you go in with hundreds of other dancers, and you're in big groupings. So you have to make yourself stand out amongst the other 20 people that audition with you at the same time, whereas, like, in an acting audition, you go in the room by yourself with the casting exactly. director. And dance. You know, you're dancing with how many other girls or girls and guys around you. So it's tricky to find a way to make yourself stand out.
0: And I would imagine but that think, when you're in when you're in a room with 20 dancers like that, they've all got the same base talents that you have, and so it's it's that much harder to to make yourself stand out.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: And so is is it like singers and actors? I mean, are there agents and are there you know? I mean, do you have people who are who are there to help you get in the door?
2: Absolutely Um, It's just like acting Where um, I have a dance agent Who that's all they do Is they send me on all my dance auditions And dance calls And it kind of works the same way As I think you know acting They help me with you know All of my dance jobs And most of the calls actually Are by agent only So if you're a dancer out here And you don't have an agent A lot of times you can't even Get into the auditions
0: And I would imagine You don't have things like Open mic nights Or you know things Things for for amateur singers or actors to get their... i mean uh, it sounds like you almost have to ha- you almost have to have an agent
2: it might be a little easier to get a dance agent dance agencies will have open dance calls maybe like twice a year they have a big dance audition where they're bringing new clients and with acting you know sometimes it's really hard to even get a meeting anywhere but it's still you know i think the dance agencies are still selective with who they take so it's still hard to get one
0: sure so walk me through a typical day with you. I mean, is it is it mainly auditions, or does it depend on kind of what's going on in your life?
2: Usually if I'm not on a job, then it consists of auditions or um, classes. Like I, take, I try to take dance class as much as I can, and I also take acting classes. But when I'm on a job, usually that's, you know, my whole day is pretty much, if it's for a dance job, we'll be rehearsing eight plus hours every day or if it's a shoot day then we're shooting you know 12 or more hours every day
0: so what was what was your big break what was the thing that really kind of set you on your way Do you in your estimation
2: i was chosen to dance for michael jackson on his what would have been his upcoming tour um in oh. london so i rehearsed with him for a few months and then unfortunately you know when he passed away that was you know, a very tragic thing for all of us, but they made the movie This Is It out of it. So, I was in This Is It as a dancer as well, and I think that, you know, made me a little visible to the public. I guess.
0: Absolutely. You know, as someone who grew up, I think I was six or seven when when Thriller really hit, and so, you know, Michael's music really yeah. is the soundtrack of my life. And I can only imagine what it must have been like to be in his presence. I mean, you know, I, I don't I don't believe that I can think of anyone who moved or inspired more people around the world than Mike did, merely by, you know, by moving his body, by the sacred poetry of his, of dance, by the sheer physicality of his expression. Uh, speak to what it was like being around him.
2: It was incredible being around him. You know, now looking back on it, I think I was kind of in shock on the whole job because it was <laughs> he's such an icon. To even be in the same room with, with him was just like, it was kind of shocking. And I didn't. I don't think I took it in quite as much as I wish wish I did because I was just so excited to be there and couldn't even quite focus on what it was exactly because I was just really excited. But he was so amazing to work with and such a talent, but also really, really nice to everyone working on it, you know, the dancers and the band and the crew. He was just very personable and, you know, made us all feel almost like we were a part of his family while we were working with him. So, he was really great to work for.
0: You know, he's one of those people who in the remotest corner of the world, people know who Michael Jackson was and and yeah. you know, you would see videos of his of his global concerts or, you know, his his video shoots and he would show up and people would just be crying just to see him. I mean, it's right. it's, it's really amazing to think of of the power that he had as an artist, as an entertainer.
2: Yeah, it is, and, you know, unfortunately, we didn't get to do a performance on stage with him, which I was really looking forward to, because in rehearsal, we would watch old videos of his stage shows and whatnot, and we would watch the audience just, like, bawling the second he stepped on the stage, and so I know I was really excited to feel that energy and be amongst that, you know, in the, the live shows, and unfortunately, we didn't get to do that, but just being in the same room with him was just as awesome you know
0: and when you heard he had passed
2: when we heard he had passed the dancers were actually at the staples center we were in rehearsal waiting for him to get there so it was really weird because we were in a room kind of waiting to start and some of the dancers started getting text messages saying you know is it true did michael really pass and we were all so caught off guard because we were like we're at rehearsal he should be here any (laughs) minute you know wow so so it was really crazy, and we we were all together, which was nice. Kenny Ortega, the director of the show, pulled everyone out into the stage area, and you know, kind of told us what had happened. And it was nice that we were able to be together to find out. But at the same time, it was just so surreal and very,
3: very upsetting.
0: You know, before seeing it, I had feared that this is it would be you know nothing but a morbid kind of ghastly experience. But it was quite the opposite. You know, it was almost it was almost life affirming watching this man literally right up until the end of his life sharing Mm -hmm. his immense talent and passion with the world and, you know, with the people around him.
2: It was incredible. We were on stage with him, I think, until midnight, maybe 12.30, the night before he passed, rehearsing, doing a full run-through of the show. So it was just so crazy the next day that he was gone because we were, I think, eight days away from going to London to do our first show.
0: And, you know, hearing the stories about, you know, his, uh, I don't know, his, his limited mobility, I guess, or his infirmity for lack of a better word and yet you see this you see this film and it's anything but i mean he's his physicality his his movements were as liquid as ever
2: yeah i mean we we were just in awe you know to even be there and yeah he was dancing and rehearsing and singing and found it amazing and so for us it was so shocking when it happened because we had been preparing for a show you know and we would have never known that he was unhealthy or sick at the time you know
0: so talk to me about burlesque. Here you are, you're rubbing elbows with two more icons, Cher and Christina Aguilera. Mm-hmm. Talk about, you know, living examples of tenacity and self-awareness. I mean, what did you what did you learn from being in their presence on a daily basis?
2: I learned, it, well, it was really cool for me because, like I said, I had worked for Cher in Vegas in her show at the Caesars Palace for a year, and that was awesome, but I was working for her as a dancer. You know, she was an artist at that point, singing, and so I was dancing for her. And then this was a little different because... It was Cher as an actress, and, you know, she's so incredible at both things, but it was really inspiring for me to be around her as an actress as well and get to see that side of her. Um, And then working with Christina, it was really cool because that was her first acting role, and we all knew she could sing and even that she could dance, but to see her acting was really inspiring for me because I'm also trying to be an actress, so, you know, it's just really motivating to be around someone that's doing it for the first time.
0: Tell me the general story of the film and kind of how you fit into it.
2: Cher owns a burlesque club on Sunset Boulevard, and I'm one of the lead dancers at the club. I play the role of Jesse. And basically when Christina's character comes into the story, she's like a small-town girl, and we've all been working at the club a long time, and we're like family there, and nobody really is accepting of Christina of the new person being there then the club actually starts to go downhill, and Christina kind of has a hidden talent that ends up saving the club. So then we're all very accepting of her at the end, and it's a good story.
0: So dancing on film and being an actress, as you said, is this the general direction that you see yourself heading in, or do you mainly want to be a dancer in a live setting? I mean, you know, concert events and stuff of that nature. Where Where are you headed?
2: I definitely want to continue dancing, but I definitely would like to get more into the acting world and progress with that because you can only be a dancer for so long. You know, it wears on your body and,
0: <laughs> and the job's
2: a little more limited, but acting, you know, you can like do so much player. longer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I'm really discovering that I have a passion for acting as well, which I didn't know because I haven't been doing that my whole life like I have with the dancing, but the more I get into the acting, the more I, I really start to love that as well. So I'm hoping to be able to expand my career in acting as well, but still continue to dance.
0: How do you feel about something like Dancing with the Stars? I mean, has that been a boon to your industry? Has that, just for the for the sheer number of people who watch that show on a weekly basis, has that increased interest among young people in learning how to dance and, you know, turning to that side of their, of their expression?
2: Absolutely. You know, I think Dancing with the Stars and So You Think You Can Dance and all of those shows are really great for the dancers industry because it gets people excited about dance and it you know it's so prevalent in the commercial and television film world right now that it provides a lot more jobs for dancers because people are you know actually excited about it especially I think on Dancing with the Stars seeing these celebrities or whatnot that have never danced before in their life and then watching them learn like it makes people understand dance a little bit and get into it so it's great for dancers.
0: And also watching people like Jennifer Gray, who, you know, rose to fame being a dancer and then, you know, hasn't touched it in 20 years, and now she's, she's back on top at age 45 or 50, whatever, however, she, I mean, it's amazing.
2: Right, right.
0: So, what's on the horizon for you? What's, what's coming down the pike in the short term?
2: Well, I just finished working on a film called No Strings Attached, and that's directed by Ivan Reitman, and it's starring Ashton Kutcher and Natalie Portman. And that film was really cool for me as well because, once again, I auditioned as a dancer for the film, and at the final callback, Ivan Reitman was there at the audition, and after he watched me dance, he asked if I would be interested in reading for a role. So I got a small role in the film also. I played the role of Victoria, and that was really great to be able to not only dance but to act on another film as well. And, you know, he's such a major big-time director that it was really a great step forward for me.
0: The Great Time Steckline, everybody, whom you can see in Michael Jackson's This Is It, which is on DVD everywhere, and in Burlesque, which is in theaters nationwide right now. Finally tonight, a dazzling young woman who grew up in Iowa and headed out to Hollywood to make a name for herself, and she is slowly but surely doing just that. Her latest film is playing in limited engagements in select cities across the country and is due on DVD early next year. The film is called Queen of the Lot, and its star is a very frank, very sharp young lady named Tana Frederick. Tell me about you. You were born in Iowa. You uh, how long were you stuck Iowa. there? I mean, did you did, did you get out of there pretty early, or, or did you grow up there? What no, the...
3: no. I had a I had a great childhood and upbringing in Iowa. I was born in northern Iowa in Mason City, which is the uh, infamous home of the Music Man from uh, from uh, well Meredith Wilson from from the the musical, the music and sure. I was born there, and then he wrote the, the music for that. So my town was, was, you know, known in the film as River City. And uh, it was a really rich area culturally. Um, we had amazing music programs, theater programs, you know, very uh, open-minded people, communities, very supportive community. I never had anybody really tell me no. They kind of more put me up on a pedestal, you know, even in, when I was doing shows in 6th and 7th grade, they would respected me, and I had, like, a following of people come to my shows, you know, as a kid, even in, in children's theater, and um, so it was a great community, and then I went on to the University of Iowa. Uh, I didn't want to. My parents told me I, need, I had to go to college, so I ended up going there for four years, and then as soon as I graduated from University of Iowa, I hightailed uh, it out to L.A.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like you always kind of knew that acting was your thing, that you were born to be a, a performer, I guess.
3: I'm, yeah, yeah. I, I would put on the front of. I'm thinking about law. <laughs> you know, I would put that. Um, I, I would try to, you know, appease my parents because I think they were a little bit frightened about me going into an sinker <laughs> or like this. But for the most part, you know, I, I, I always knew in my heart that it was it was acting or nothing. Absolutely. So, yeah,
0: yeah. You know, uh, in in my spare time, I'm a writer. I have a blog, and I've got a couple of unfinished novels on the shelf and and you know the best the best advice that I ever heard in terms of pursuing a career as a writer is don't ever call yourself an aspiring writer you are a writer you're not an aspiring anything and exactly you know I'm wondering if if acting has a similar mindset if if should you call yourself an aspiring actor or should you call yourself an actor regardless of of you know whether you ever do anything that's on film or famous or you know anything like that how do you feel about that
3: I think that's a fantastic quote. I think that's wonderful and completely accurate because a lot of us as artists apologize. We try to apologize for the work that we do because it's sometimes not, you know, it's it's looked down upon and people don't take you seriously when you call yourself an artist. But you have to almost really embrace it and protect that part of you and really nurture that part of you to facilitate creativity and i would i would definitely say that nobody should ever call themselves an aspiring actor because <laughs> it's like saying I'm, I'm an aspiring human being <laughs> exactly we're all you know we're all capable of creating art and if that's your passion and you choose to be an artist then that's what you are and wear it proudly and and i think that the only people who say aspiring are those who maybe don't understand that to be an artist you have to fully embrace that and uh and people who are apologetic still about their craft you know and and I, and I I remember when I first moved out here I was embarrassed to say I was an actress because there's so many there's so much <laughs> stigma attached to that you know and um I had so many waitressing jobs and they're like so what do you do you're an actress right and you I, I for a while, I was embarrassed, and I was like, no, actually, I'm a law student, and people will change their attitudes and be nice to me and leave me a better tip. <laughs> you know? But um, the minute that I started saying, yes, I'm an actress, and, and I stopped apologizing for it myself, I think, was the minute that people stopped noticing that hint of, of embarrassment in me and and really gave me respect art is completely subjective. I think that's a beautiful part of of what we do. And I don't care if you've written a children's book that's been written by two people, you're still an artist and no that deserves you know that deserves a lot of a lot of credit to Absolutely. yourself. To create anything is putting yourself out there for criticism for you know it's it's frightening it's putting it's it's putting you know your soul out there so to create anything and put it out there for people to judge and see deserves the highest praise like at any level
0: so talk to me about about uh, moving from Iowa to california i mean it i can imagine that it was as as empowering and liberating for you as it was absolutely horrifying
3: <laughs> it was actually um it was actually more horrifying than empowering and liberating <laughs> <laughs> it was terrifying i i was man i was freaked out for like 5 years i was sleeping 14 hours a day and i remember driving here it was just a nightmare i couldn't believe that you you had to sit in your car for an hour and a half to get you know that i had to get sit there to to get to the job i was in the gofer yep. and i was working at that took a whole hazing sort of thing and people were angry drivers and the culture was just so weird and uh it i mean it's it's on another part of it it's, it's on the other side of the country almost from my life so it's like huge culture shock and a lot of people were telling me to um get no job get um <laughs> you know straighten my hair uh pigeon, you know people people who had been in the business Doing character work on commercials, were giving me advice, and I didn't know who to listen to, and it was just weird. It was it was it was kind of scary actually, and uh, I didn't know what direction to go in. <laughs> um, I I met Henry Jaglum through a, I wrote Henry Jaglum a letter telling him how much I loved his films, and, and uh, because an actor who I was in a play with had told me to write him, and that if you write henry a letter that he cast you in his film so i i wrote him this long three-page single space letter about how much i love Vu*, and one of his films and hand delivered it to his office and uh this is after probably four years of working waiting tables and not getting anywhere and so finally um he called me up well he called me up the very next day and started talking to me, and we started dialoguing about his films, and he invited me to the premiere of Festival in Can*, and then gave me a, a job putting up window posters in his office, and gave me a play of Safe Place to do as a scene in an acting class that had never been done as a play before, and uh, it was actually his first film that he did with BBS with Jack Nicholson and Tuesday Well, but he had originally written it as a play for the actor's studio, which he workshops with Harold Korman. And um, and Lee, Lee Strasberg, and so wow. without him knowing it, I took the play and got it produced because Henry had never had any plays done, and he's got there's a there's a cachet to his name and his work. So I got it produced, starred myself in it, and then he cast me in our first film that we did together, Hollywood Dreams, and uh, and then after <laughs> after I had started Hollywood Dreams in a safe place, and I think I had done Irene and Time, our second film together as well. I confessed to Henry that when I wrote him the letter saying how much I loved his films, I had never actually seen any of his films. (laughs) (laughs) But um, you know, uh, he loved that. He thought that was great. (laughs) That's what actors had to do. And of course, by then I had seen his films. Yeah, it's it's just all about getting your little (laughs) pinky toe in the door. And I'd seen all his films and. And he and I are a great match, Um, totally compatible. We're both total hustlers, and uh, we're great. We make great – we have fun making art together. And so we have done four films, five plays together, um, and that was kind of my – that was my path. You know, everybody has a different path out here, I think. And uh, I fell into it, luckily, serendipitously. Not so serendipitously because I actively went after
0: it, but it was –
3: that, he's definitely my angel.
0: Wow. So you're kind of like De Niro to his Scorsese. Yes.
3: Yes. <laughs> I, yes. From your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Henry's films are very um, women-centric, business-centric. They're all about either, oh, mostly about women's issues, which uh, which is really nice to have a director who respects women and really gets in there and does films about about women and then he does great satires on the business and so we've been making a series of, of those type films. He's been you know, he's made eighteen films I wow. think and I've been in four of them now. So I'm I'm very very proud of that and very very fortunate. Yeah, we just we don't stop working great.
0: <laughs> so talk to me about Queen of the Lot. What's the what's the story here and how do you fit into it?
3: It's a sequel of sorts to my first film I did with Henry called Hollywood Dreams, and it's about a girl who comes out from Iowa in the search of fame. And um, she's sort of an Eve Harrington from All About Eve. She's the Eve Harrington, come Kim Kardashian, (laughs) um, come Paris Hilton, come Lindsay Lohan. In this film, she has now achieved B-list status doing three action ser- action films, okay. so she's become an action hero, and so she's, you know, she's a joke, basically, and, but she has achieved some sort of fame, and, um, she has an ankle bracelet on for rece- for for getting through DUIs and is under house arrest, and, uh, is, has addiction meetings that she needs to attend, and, um, then she's dating an A-list actor, trying to you know climb up climb up the ladder. She wants more, of course. She wants to be an A-list actress and do better quality work. And Dove uh, Dov is her boyfriend's name, and so he's an A-list actor. And and uh, she ends up meeting his brother, Noah Wiley, who is a failed novelist, and oh, okay. ends up falling in love with somebody who doesn't quite meet her, who isn't on her syllabus of how to be famous, you know, and she doesn't know how to process that, and uh, it's really a romantic, sweet love story, Um, and an amazing cast of characters. She goes home to these brother's house, Noah Wiley and Chris Rydell's house, and meets her family, who consists of Peter Bogdanovich and Catherine Crosby being Crosby's wife, and... Um, Mary Crosby, Jack Keller, Dennis Christopher from Breaking Away, um Daisy White, uh, all these great Hollywood pedigree stars, Paul Sands, who are in the family and um they play they kind of represent old Hollywood the old Hollywood studio system and the demise of that and uh it's just it's it's really cool. It's very um you can't take it with you combined with a really nice love story of the forties. Wow. I mean it's not set in the forties. It's just, sure. But it has that feel to it. And um I think it's really a, a delightful in the sense that it's it's got so much acerbic wit in it and um I like I personally like love stories that are a little bit dark and tangly and I think that this
0: one is. Wow. Talk to me about working with Noah. You know, this whole country had a crush on him a generation <laughs> ago when he when he burst through with the R. Talk to me about working with him. <laughs>
3: me too, me too. <laughs> The wrong thing is my mom is a nursing professor at a community college in Iowa, and she, we didn't watch any TV. She was very strict about me watching TV, but the one show we watched was ER no. with Noah on it, and so that was that was pretty wild being able to. I think I've been asked by every woman in the country who's seen this film, what was it like to, to make out with Noah Wiley? No question. All these women are like, <laughs> 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 wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Aren't you lucky you had those makeup scenes with Noah? It was... <laughs> It was, but he, but that was that was of course a bonus. But he is such a sweet, amazing actor. He really is. I think this talented leading man that. Um,
0: and you know, very underrated just because of the way he looks.
3: Very, yeah. He has done bit parts and not bit, but he's been in films like Enough uh, with Jennifer Lopez and um, a few good men and played these smaller parts in these films. And Henry and I both saw him as this. Gallant leading man, you know, who is has this sexy, you know, charisma of Jimmy Stewart and um, uh, Henry Fonda, and and he he was like that. Working with him was was amazing. It was like this amazing game of tennis. There was we were just back and forth on everything. It's it's the best. It was basically the best, you know, leading man I've worked with. And and he and I just didn't stop. It was just. Like snap, 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 snap. You, I'm gonna throw this at you. You throw this back because he's so bright and he's so emotionally available. So we had great chemistry, and um, I think that that translates. So we've gotten great reviews about the chemistry of Noah and I, and, and I think that's really rare that you see that sort of Tracy Hepburn banter in films nowadays. So I feel really fortunate to have had that experience. It was it was great.
0: You know, you name check Paris Hilton and and Lindsay Lohan and the Kardashians. Tell me what you think about these girls. When you, when you know, when you, uh, uh, you know, when you when you see Lindsay Lohan, I, I had a chance to talk to Eric Roberts recently. Uh, oh,
3: I know Eric. Yeah, he's great Eliza, and, a good friend of mine. Yeah.
0: And you know, he's he's been through some pretty well-publicized drug problems. And you know, when you look at Lindsay Lohan, you know, in and out of rehab and uh, seemingly from the outside anyway, throwing her life away and throwing her talent away. For you know nothingness, it's, it it drives me crazy, and it must drive you crazy too when you see these girls, when you see yourself trying to make it, and then you see these girls who have made it, and they're just tossing it away.
3: Well, that's what the film really deals with, and um, honestly, I I come from like a long line of of people with addiction problems in my family, even in Iowa. My grandfather was in was in was a fighter pilot in World War II, and I think that he had a lot of anxiety issues, and uh, you know he raised. Nine kids on a farm in Iowa, and he was an alcoholic, and so my I went through my mother dealing with that, my aunts dealing with that, um, and I think that the addiction problems stem from a much greater problem, um, which is uh, which is it, it, it's an underlying problem of having feelings of fear and anxiety, and especially. With women now, I think that, and with with uh, celebrity status, I think that there's such a struggle. I mean, trying to get famous, I believe, comes from some childhood scar that you had, something where you weren't, you felt you weren't seen, and you have this emotional need to, to be seen and to be acknowledged. And I think that, A, artists are the people who put themselves out there to be judged, and that's a scary thing. I think that when, when you go after being a celebrity or when you're somebody like Lindsay Lohan who has gotten so many roles, you had to do the entire thing within the public eye, and it's it's a little terrifying to be judged that way. Fortunately and unfortunately, alcohol quiets those voices. It quiets those inner criticisms and inner demons and Partying, you know, alleviates that pain of being scrutinized all the time. And um, I don't know. I know of a lot of people with addiction problems, and I know Eric, and I think that it, it's sort of a product of our society right now where we come from such a puritanical society where, <laughs> where it's like, don't drink, don't do drugs, yep. you know. And then once we get our hands on them, we're like, wow, I, I feel better <laughs> you know, I feel better after a half a bottle of wine, and we've been told no, 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 and so it's kind of we have this black or white thinking, it's all or nothing, attitude exactly. toward drugs and and drinking. And
0: you know, it's it's so funny that you mentioned no, no, no. You and I are both from the just say no generation. I mean, Nancy Reagan, with absolutely, her, with her huge campaign. And you know, I never thought of it that way, but it, it's absolutely right when you say that. We you you know we're taught no, 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 no.
3: And then when we do it, I mean, there's a feeling of. I remember my first kegger, you know, in the cornfields of Iowa, and it was like, I drank my first sip of beer, and it felt, I felt so bad because I knew it was so wrong, but it felt so good, you know, and...
0: And I think that the alarming thing about that is, it that, that mindset carries over into other areas of our life, sexuality, uh, career, you know, and then we wonder why there are so many divorces, there are so many broken homes, you know, it's... It's, yeah It's really something that I think is worthy of being looked at Seriously I, Yeah,
3: As yeah, I do too I think that's a really good point I think that, that that it does carry into into other aspects Because it's either perfect or it's not perfect Damn right Our marriages are perfect Everything's happy or it's not perfect We don't talk enough about about the in-between area Where we're uncomfortable with each other But we still deserve to be married It's, it's you know, where we have problems But there's a, like a quick fix for everything Send them off to rehab <laughs> Get a divorce, you know um,
0: and then we teach by example to the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation.
3: Yeah, which hopefully we won't do that with our kids.
0: <laughs>
3: but I don't know. I'm I'm not a parent, and I'll probably do the exact same thing my parents did. But my I had a great I had a great childhood. I just I do sympathize with with people with addiction problems, and I do understand that because I think that a lot more people in America have addiction problems than we realize, and feel the need to hide it because they feel ashamed or they feel disappointed in themselves or they yep. feel angry at themselves. And so I think it's very brave for people to fight the
0: good fight against it. Absolutely. So back to happier topics. <laughs> what, what, what's what's coming down the pike for what's coming down the pike for Tana Frederick?
3: You... Um we ran a play out, Henry and I ran a play out here for a year called Just Forty Five Minutes from Broadway, which is a great play about the theater family and in los angeles if you can run a play longer than like two weeks it's fabulous
0: you know isn't (laughs) it funny isn't it funny the differences between la and new york i mean new york is all about theater basically and la is all about film
3: i know i know basically if you do a play out here it's so that some cbs casting (laughs) directors can see it or you can get an agent you know it's not really called a play it's called a showcase and it's just, and that's really weird, but um, but we did run a play out here that kept getting extended, kept getting extended, kept getting extended, and it's a great piece of theater. There are really some great pieces of theater out in Los Angeles, believe it or not, and ours is one of them. So we filmed that, and um, it's going, it's being made into a film with uh, myself, the original cast from the play, and Jed Nelson as the co-star, oh. which... Again, that was that was really cool because sure. he's, you know, he's Judd Nelson. And, uh, you know, I, I would he,
0: imagine that you came up watching The Breakfast Club.
3: I absolutely did, yes. <laughs> and uh, and so working with Jed Nelson was, like, really cool, I have to admit. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to geek out. It was great. <laughs> so, but it was, yeah, so that's coming out. That's being edited right now. And then I'm, I'm going to go back on stage because uh, – I really think that, for me, it's really helpful to do a play and film and play a film, play film, play film, because there's something that you gain from sitting in front of a live audience and trying to um, maneuver their emotions and their energy versus being in front of a flat camera where you, the gaffer is falling asleep. <laughs> um, the you know, <laughs> I like to try to stay fresh and uh and keep keep teaching myself, keep learning because like you said, I'm not a potential what did you say? not potential actress. You said I'm aspiring. I'm yes. not an aspiring actress. <laughs> I'm an actress, so I take that very seriously and I have a duty to get better. So that is what's on my agenda and then filming another film, Uh, we're getting ready to film another film, hopefully, uh, coming up this spring, about, um, which is actually a story about Henry's father from pre-World War II, Uh, it's about uh, anti-Semitism, so for Henry, that's a pretty cool subject for him to cover, and new territory for him to cover, so I really look forward to that,
0: Lot playing right now in New York and L.A. and opening later this month in San Francisco, Chicago, Seattle, and a number of other cities. Just check out your local uh, movie listings or go to queenofthelot.com for more information. And that's a wrap for Brandon's Buzz, guys, in the can for December 14th. If you're listening, you already know, but in case you don't know, three places online to find Brandon's Buzz, uh, blogtalkradio.com slash brandonsbuzz. Is really home base for the show. From there, you can listen to the show, you can download old episodes of the show, you can send emails, leave messages. It really is home base for Brandon's Buzz. Again, it's BlogTalkRadio.com/Brandon'sBuzz. You can also find me at my blog, Brandon'sBuzz.com. There, at the top of any page at Brandon'sBuzz.com, is a blue button marked "Radio." You click that button, that takes you to a full archive of every episode of this show. This is episode number seventy-five, I believe. This and all previous 74 are located in the radio archive at brandonsbuzz.com. You can also find me on iTunes. I'm on iTunes, guys. Just type Brandon's Buzz in the iTunes Music Store search box. Scroll down to the podcast section. Click on my logo. From there, you can uh, subscribe to the show and have new episodes automatically download to your library. Or you can uh, 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 download individual old episodes as podcasts for playback on the device you're choosing. So listen, I'm all over the place. I'm on iTunes, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm Brandon's Buzz everywhere. Google the words Brandon's Buzz and something will pop up that points you in my direction. And as always, I appreciate you guys finding me. I appreciate you guys coming in my direction and listening to me. And I hope you continue finding and listening to Brandon's Buzz.
2: Hi, everybody out there. This is Eileen Kristen, and I have just been on Brandon's Buzz. This is a great show and a very sophisticated mind, so spread the word, Brandon's Buzz. This
3: is Claire Massey from Tammy Show, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Great guy, great show.
0: Check it out. Hey, guys, this is Brett Claywell from One Life to Live, and you're listening to Brandon's Buzz. Hi,
1: this is Lynn Herring on Brandon's Buzz. It's the great entertainment talk show on now. Brandon, I love you. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So if you feel that you just can't take it and your world isn't what it seems, don't forget that life can be what you make it. Baby, when you live on a street of dreams.
3: Hey, this is Nia Peoples, and you're with Brandon Buzz, a place to be.
0: Hi, everybody, this is Nicholas Walker. Merci à vous tous. Écoutez Brandon Buzz
1: sur Blog Talk Radio. Bonsoir et à très bientôt.